Hello and welcome to another edition of uh, Football Unfocused, the uh, world-leading football content-based podcast um, presented by two dynamic, sort of forward-thinking, hipster intellectuals of the game named Mark and Matthew. My name is Mark and Matthew is about to say hello. Hello. Hello, Mark. Did you Um, think that that was a good description of us? Yeah, world-leading. That that seems... The zeitgeist of of things to say with regards to um, uh, anything really. Um, you just call yeah. yourself world well, leading. I was just, I was I just from like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. You just say the word. Yeah. And if you I, say I it, saw it, a headline about. Yeah, I saw a headline about world leading taxes in mm-hmm. this country, which I'm not entirely sure what that referred to. But yeah, I just what does told that mean? You the way. The, the, we pay more than anyone else, or they're the best, best quality taxes, or they're, they're the best, the, the best just... spent. They're just the best. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful taxes. Well, I just told you how many people listen to our podcast, uh, so that was interesting. You, they're the, they're the best numbers. They are the best numbers. Yeah, they're the best numbers, and they're beautiful, beautiful numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're be- yeah, they really are. They reflect our uh, the quality of our our content. Look, I've read the uh, unpaid for. Um, sort of first 50 words of a number of athletic articles uh, this week. And I have not seen anything by way of journalistic quality that matches the level of our discussion, Matthew. <laughs> That's People good. bang on the athletic this, the athletic that, but come on. You know, do they get to the heart of the matter in a way that we do? We cut through the bullshit and uh, really strip apart to the bone the issues of the day, the hot topics, the the, the football hot potatoes. <laughs> Why do you keep do you, laughing? I don't. Yeah, I, I guess that cuts. I don't to think the you're taking this to... seriously. This podcast. What? What our USP is? Maybe we could take this offline. Well, our USP. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a discussion we need to have with our listeners. I think our USP is uh, the. A level of sort of you know cutting edge critical football debate between two people who are fanatical about the game, who live and breathe the game, who uh, wake up in the morning and their first thought is about oh, I wonder how Sean Dyche's first training session went at Everton, or oh, I wonder whether Andre Ayew is going to sign for Everton, or oh, I wonder how Everton are doing today, you know, just <laughs> just generally stuff like that. But not all about Everton. Uh, it just so happens that the first and other clubs. I thought of were Everton. Yeah. yeah, Everton and others, but mostly Everton. Yeah, okay. I like thinking. I think one of the main reasons I like thinking about Everton is because Liverpool's season has been so uh, unrelentingly miserable that it's just quite nice that our city neighbours are having an even worse time. Although you'd probably say their time is more predictable than the. The sort of you know the collapse of Liverpool, but you know, let's not talk about that. Let's just avoid that. No <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. Matthew, I have some questions. Right. As ever, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, sorry, um, but if you are, uh, I tend to because as I've sort of rather um, sarcastically and very, very humorously hinted to in the introductory blurb to this podcast. Um, this, the dynamic here tends to be that I do most of the football chat, basically monologues because I have to, because my co-host 
he's not really particularly interested. He doesn't, you know, he, he plugs in his microphone uh, and he sits there and he doesn't really know any more about football than he did the previous week or have <laughs> any more interest in even finding out more about football than the previous week. That's the key. You I know, know more not... about football by the end of the recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Well, that's, that's, I suppose that, that reflects well on me. There's a really good uh, cricket podcast that I listen to called Tailenders, um, which they hilariously refer to as loosely cricket-based. Um, it's a BBC podcast hosted by Radio 1 DJ and all-round good-looking guy and hipster Greg James, um, ex uh, Maccabees, um, I think he was the lead guitarist, was he? Uh, Felix White. And um, and Jimmy Anderson, England's greatest ever um, fast bowler, statistically. And uh, they have a regular contributor who's now turned into a co-host, um, who whose name is Matt, but his his sort of podcast name is Matchin Tendolka because he rang into one of their, or contacted them on one of their first ever podcasts, claimed to be a distant relative of Sachin Tendolka through marriage. And he became, but he had no interest in cricket himself. And it wasn't, in fact, it wasn't him who contacted the podcast. It was his mate on his behalf. And then they they got him then on the line, and he he's become become this sort of cult character who then they've used as a project to essentially get him more and more interested in cricket, more knowledgeable about cricket. Now he genuinely knows loads about cricket. He's incredibly well informed. He goes to watch cricket. He's he's just massively passionate about the game. And I. You know, there's a part of me that thought maybe that will happen with... Um, and funny enough, his name's Matt as well. And I thought maybe that'll happen with, with our Matt, you know, Football Unfocused Matt. But a um, couple of years in, <laughs> it's not happened, does it, Matt? How long did it take him to get knowledgeable? Oh, I don't know, probably about six weeks. Um, oh, right. Oh, God. <laughs> well, no. no, no. I mean, obviously, he's built up over time. And they still make jokes about the fact that he doesn't know a lot. But he actually does when he when they you know when they when they strip away the hilarious banter, um, it it really does you know he doesn't sound out of place when talking now about cricket with like you know fanatics like Greg James and Felix White and with you know Jimmy Anderson England's greatest ever bowler. So there is hope now. You've just got to you know put in the man hours, <laughs> you know, or the lady hours. Put it zip it away and watch football, uh, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> So anyway, so so in order to get behind the the enigma, who you been talking to? Yeah, yeah, your your neighbours. Uh, well, I read a story about how the Tate the, these people who own a flat, well, block of oh, flats, yeah. by the Tate Gallery have won a, essentially like a privacy case to have the balcony, um, like a viewing balcony, and in the top of the Tate Modern closed down because they. They have people like taking pictures, taking pictures. of them all day and putting them on like, social media, <laughs> and now it's gone to court and they've, they've essentially won. Even though the Tate building itself pre, because I looked at that and I thought, oh, surely that's a bit harsh that the you know some fucking overpriced modern uh, residential development has gone up and they've put it next to the Tate, and now the Tate have to rein in their visitor experience because these people who can afford penthouse apartments in the centre of London worth millions of pounds don't have like their privacy being infringed but actually my understanding is that although the tape that obviously the tape building predates the the big block of flats 
the balcony doesn't. I think the balcony was put on that particular part of the building after uh, they were all up. So, you know, Colin one day was coming out the shower with it all hanging loose. And next thing you know, he's got uh, some, you know, uh, Peruvian tourist with a long lens uh, putting his old chap on uh, on Instagram. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to pluck a social media um, uh, name of something off the top of my head there. And I, I went for Instagram. <laughs> Can you? Can you no, put I think a dick that was reference. That um, no, but you can no. stick it. You can share it around on WhatsApp and things like that. Excellent. That's good to know. I'll remember that next time. Next time Guess I'm where lonely. I saw this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard. I heard that this picture of my penis can go down a storm on WhatsApp, but not Instagram. Matthew, Matthew, how often do you eat tinned fruit or veg? Do you mean, does that include beans? Um, for the purposes baked. of this answer, I'm assuming you by that you mean like baked beans rather than butter beans or haricot beans or kidney beans. Uh, you mean yeah, baked all beans. of them. Actually, no, no, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to rule them out because I think the, you're, okay. you're probably, just looking at your eyes light up there, I think that you, you probably <laughs> use them quite a lot uh, for a mostly vegetarian, for an entirely vegetarian and previously vegan diet. You, that, that probably bumps yeah. out a lot of your your meals so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna shut that right down and say oh, no, no no beans or pulses um how about soups? fruit and veg in a tin soups Fruit, no, like, and, and a tin of soup is not... I know, even if it's vegetable soup, it's not primarily a tin of right. veg, is it? Do you, do you buy tins of carrots? Cut carrots and things, do you? Questions for you, Matthew, not me. I always feel a bit... If, if I... Yeah, that's... It's, it feels quite a shame. A bit of a, a, a... You know, sad thing to buy a tin of carrots. Well, you think it means you've sort of given up on life a bit. <laughs> Sort of thought, I, I I'm defeat. I don't want to tarnish those who buy their, you know, tins. Of yeah, you want to be careful but... of the of the fifteen people that listen to this. There's a big, there's a, you know, the, the, the tin carrot tin lobby. Carrot yeah, play big big tin carrot play a big role. In it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now speak so, freely, Matthew. Don't worry about the tin carrot lobby. The, we can't the... just be in the pocket of, of tin carrot big tin. all our lives. Yeah, yeah, big tin carrot. Um, yeah, so not often. Not not often. When not when you've ruled out soup, soup, well, well, like pineapples. Well, I can't yes, think of fruit that goes in the tin. It doesn't have to, no, you, know, no. you know. I mean, peach. I can't. You know, probably the peach only tin fruit peach. I ever eat is a peach. I do. I do like a tin peach. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I don't. Drain I think I'll probably it. use it. Do you, do you buy it in syrup or water? I. Or fruit juice, that's it. Fruit juice, yeah. I buy it yeah. in that, and I never eat it like that anyway. I just drain it off and then put it with some. Honey and yogurt. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Once again, I'm just showing because I'm just a you know, man of the people. Yeah, good bloody quality honey as well. Oh, I bet. Really is. Yeah, yeah, manuka or something. Sort of pine, pine fir tree honey. Yeah, yeah, good. good. Yeah, yes, I'm a man of the people. Um, right. So the answer to that is 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 no. You don't really no. eat any yeah, tin fruit no. or veg. No, other than no. Wait. Sort of or the caveats you put in, I don't know. Well, because, well, the caveats really were just to clarify that the, what the question was asking was: okay. Do you All eat right. tin the clarifications fruit or, you put in, or, or veg? Yeah, yeah, right, no, good. I don't. Yeah. So I'm quite surprised at that, considering you're a man who loves, you know, quick 
and easy meals. You'll have nothing more than a jacket potato and a cup of soup. I thought you'd be all over just getting something out of a tin, pouring it in a, warming it up in a pan. I do. I Peas. do, but I don't like too much variety. No, that's the same thing so... again and again. <laughs> so do you that... know where you'd fit in really well, where your lifestyle would, like prison? You'd be brilliant in prison. <laughs> you don't have to do much to get in either. No, you don't. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, or, or maybe you do, according to the Daily Mail. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, it's like bed and breakfast. No, let out after a couple of Just days. Just playing and in your all PlayStation the, yeah, like the wokerati. Um, uh, good. Okay. Question two, Matthew. Do you observe Valentine's Day? It's coming up. You know, it's, in, it's almost yeah, a topical question. That's that's true. Less than two weeks till Valentine's Day, Matthew. Are you? Do you big, have big plans for it? Is I it need, a big day for you and Joe? I need, I'll check in with Joe and see what we're doing. See what the expectations. Nothing says are. romance like checking in <laughs> with your partner two weeks before. A day, Alaska. a forced yeah. romance day, and ask her whether. Do you I not? Think, I mean, you've been together a very I, long time. Have you yeah, not? That's it. That's it. So no, think, no, hold on. No, I, that wasn't the reason to not observe it. What I'm saying point, is, did point. you not notice by now <laughs> that if anything, that's the reason, all the more reason you should be observing it. What yeah. I'm saying is, uh, do you like over the last? Do I don't you, know how long you've been together? About 15 years or something. Have you not? Yeah, yeah. Have you not um, noticed that every February, whether or not you observe Valentine's Day? Oh, I can't remember. Wow. It's, it's, but I, I, one thing I won't do is go out for a meal. That's you won't probably, do that. Yeah. yeah. That, so I'm up for most things, but, but that on Valentine's. How, so, I might, I might so your refusal to go for a Valentine's Day meal, I get that you don't want to be one of the mugs who gets ripped off going to a place and having to be limited to a set menu, a set menu having yeah. a worse experience than you would have done the day before or you will do the next day. I totally yeah. get that. I'm, I'm fully on board with you there. Um, but how far would you take that refusal? Would you not, for example, go to KFC on that day? Do you just yeah, outright I'll refuse ta- to pay for? No, food? no, no. Yeah, fair enough. I'll, we could get a um, a fast food. I wouldn't get mm. a takeaway. I don't think. But I no. would get a fast food option. Right. Um, so you'd go out and sit in a fast food restaurant, but you wouldn't. No, have no, one no. We would pick one up and click and click. <laughs> yeah, click and click. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good. Got to be careful out there, Matt. It's dark. Yeah, Don't lose your <laughs> I headphones. Might... I know. Oh fuck me. Um, I might send Joe out to get it. Yeah, good. good. <laughs> on Valentine's Day, cold, cold, dark evening. Send her yeah. out. Send her out in there. Say, go on. I've watch, ordered a Burger King. Vegan whoppers. <laughs> yeah. Two vegan whoppers. Yeah, and I got fifty yeah. percent off because it's Wednesday. Um, you know, but don't worry. Uh, you know, don't you don't have to transfer me after money. It's on me. Yeah. <laughs> but you are going to get it. So you know, put your Parker on yeah. and your fair, scarf. Fair. Yeah, put your walking boots on. <laughs> You'll be back in an hour and a half. Don't don't moan. Uh, final question, Matthew. Uh, and, and from this, by the way, I got a message directly. So I sent a tweet out the other day, sort of trying to promote our podcast to our I millions of, uh, yeah, of Twitter followers. And I got a response um, from someone who had listened to last week's podcast. Um, and I think it might have been, you may rec- when you mentioned that you came across a gang of youths uh, when you were crossing the road. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah. what the fuck is that? Or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, about yeah. your, um, your um, stick. stick, which helps with your um, transport, you know, moving around with uh, your eyesight limitations. Um, so I'm just going to read it out verbatim and just the, the question as it came through. Why are you talking about me on a podcast, you fucking weirdo? Are you a fucking pervert? Do you want to fight? 
Oh my goodness! Did that really? I need to check our Twitter. More yeah. Often. So you know that that's. And what... what did you say back? I haven't responded yet. I just want to know. Uh, yeah, I want to know. Um... Just checking if I just yeah, want to hear it from I the horse's read, mouth. Read it Are to you, you first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I mean, what yeah. are the chances of that, hey? From our, I know. I suppose when you have so many millions of listeners, there is quite a good chance that but, one of them that, is going to be the person you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, <laughs> it was clearly a misunderstanding. So I wasn't mm. trying to be a pervy or anything. Right. I was probably just looking at him, but not realizing I was looking at him. Okay. So the answer to the question: Do you want to fight? Uh, oh, right. Probably do, not. You want me to say no, no. to that? Yeah, no, so, I don't think so. Not, so why you look you know why are you talking about me on a podcast is dunno. Just <laughs> are you a pervert? No. Do you want to fight? No. Yeah. I right. think that's I'll, I'll, I think that's Okay. Right, football. So um I was gonna uh there's well it's always worth talking about Everton because it's just like a never ending gold mine of content at the moment because <laughs> they've managed now in the last week since we the thing is i saw i'm not going to mostly talk about everton by the way i'm going to talk about chelsea um but just quickly <laughs> but just quickly on another team in blue um but just quickly on everton i saw um uh jamie carragher kind of triumphantly retweeting his column that he writes for the telegraph i think it is saying that um Everton are reiterating what he'd said on Sky the week before that Everton are the worst run club in the country. And he's kind of, I think their failure to buy any players, even though they desperately need new fresh blood in the club to help them survive, uh, their failure to actually get anyone through the door in a transfer window um, and allied with the fact they can't score any goals. And they've now sold... Having sold their best player last summer, Richarlison, to Tottenham, they've now sold probably their next best player, Tony Gordon, to lifelong Evertonian, been at the club since he was about five, but very gleefully buggered off to Newcastle and was sitting there the other night for their League Cup semi-final second leg uh, with a black and white, it's sitting in the crowd with a black and white scarf around his neck and uh, awkwardly mumbling along to Newcastle songs at the end when all the crowd was celebrating and... I thought, oh, you know, there's nothing like a bit of solidarity and loyalty is there with your um, your brethren club. But anyway, um, Everton have, firstly, they've appointed Sean Dyche. It may or may not work out. I've got a, actually quite a lot of time for Sean Dyche. Not necessarily for, certainly not for the way his teams play football. I mean, they are, every time Burnley played against uh, Liverpool, we tended to end the match with some, you know, a lot of scar tissue and... Uh, the narrower version of sort of career-ending injuries and sometimes then conflict, outright conflict between Klopp and uh, Sean Dyche. But more as a as a character, a, a figure of fun, a comedy character, he is just superb. And the brilliant podcast Athletico Mints have him as a sort of regular contributor and his motivational wavs. Um, so they're always, if anyone's never listened to that, they are absolutely unbelievable. Um, maybe, you know, this will be a real, everyone's always... The sort of bores who love to say things like, oh, why don't English managers ever get a chance? They never get the top jobs and stuff. Everton, all right, in their current state, isn't a top job. But as we identified last week, they are historically a big club. And I suppose this is a chance for Sean Dyche to prove that he can go into a club, turn it around, maybe get them playing football that's possibly a little bit more 
innovative than the up and atom way that Burnley played most of the time that he was there. Although it was admittedly effective, and he kept them in the Premier League for sort of five or six years consecutive, which is a hell of an achievement. Um, but even then, the fact that they didn't seem intent on getting Dyshaw along. They were in advanced negotiations with Marcelo Bielsa, which almost could not be a more diametrically opposite management target to Dyche. So there's clearly, once again, absolutely no strategy there. And then they couldn't get their ducks in order to to buy any players beforehand. And I even heard um, a story today, which was sent to me by a regular listener and good friend of mine uh, named Stu, um, that they were trying to get... Because they they desperately need a striker. They can't score for love nor money. They were trying to get Andre Ayew, the former um, Swansea and West Ham forward, who is currently a free agent. They were try- Because you can still sign players who have no attached club, even after the transfer window. They're trying to get him through the door. But he's potentially going, taking a better offer and going somewhere else. I think it might have been Forrest. I can't even remember now. Probably is Forrest. Forrest signed everyone else in the world. Um, so they're not even getting free transfers uh, over the line. And there's, yeah, there's something big time wrong there. But So Dyche is going to have to, to keep Everton up. They're either going to have to win every game 1-0 and somehow find manage to score a goal because statistics suggest that they, they're incapable of scoring any more than one per match <laughs> and just keep like uh, 19 clean sheets where, you know, what, 18 or 19 games left. Um, or just be create, you know, such um, revolutionary um, uh, change through training practices that they come out and are suddenly the Brazil team of 1970. So uh, we will <laughs> see. But Chelsea, are, I mean, you can't not mention Chelsea over the way that things have gone over the last month in the January transfer window because they have now spent over £600 million in two transfer windows, recouping very little of that. I had a quick look before this, um, before we started recording this podcast. They have sold some players um, since sort of in that time. So Todd Bowley, basically, the American owner who bought the club after Roman Abramovich, subject to sanctions, was essentially forced to um, uh, sell the club. So Bowley brought them for two and a half billion pounds. So that's already a significant outlay. Um, and in that time, they've sold the most expensive player they've sold is Timo Werner for twenty million. They, so, they sold Emerson for fifteen million, and then the other day, Jorginho for eleven million, Billy Gilmore for just over eight million, and they've loaned out Lukaku, which I suppose gets his um, wages off the board. And then other than sort of half a million for Kennedy and three and a half million for Michy Bashwai, um, the vast majority of the rest of their players were either uh, who have gone have either been uh, loaned out or gone out in free transfers. But in that same period of time, they've broken the British transfer record by signing Enzo Fernandez um, for uh, um, what's it about one hundred and five million quid. Um, a player who six months or so ago barely anyone knew who the hell he was <laughs> um, so they seem to have done that on the basis of just having a half decent World Cup with Argentina I mean fa- you know fair play it may work out may not they brought Wesley Fofana last summer for 80 million from Leicester they brought um, Mikhailo Murdrich broken the record for a player um, from Ukraine for uh, nearly 80 million 
Um, I think once you factor in the add-ons from from Shakhtar Donetsk. Mark Cucurella, a left-back on the basis of one good season at Brighton. They spent 65 million quid on him. Raheem Sterling, obviously, you know, a proven Premier League player, 56 million. Uh, Benoit Badiashil, a defender from Monaco, 38 million. Kula Bali, obviously a proven performer, another 38 million. Um, Noni Madweka, 35 million from PSV Eindhoven. Uh, Melo Gusto, 30 million from Lyon. Uh, Chuck Wameka from Aston Villa, a young prospect, 18 million. You know, I mean, some of these players, even when I sort of look down the list, I'm not even entirely sure kind of who they are and whether. I mean, they even spent 12 million on a Bamiyang, um, sort of veteran who doesn't even seem to be um, particularly wanted by Graham Potter and the regime, whether he, or not he fits in. And even Shao Felix, who they've got on loan from Atletico Madrid. With his, I mean, he'll be on some astronomical wages. I believe that there is the option, if not the obligation, to buy. And even the loan fee is eleven million. That's eleven million for you know a six-month loan. So they're spending staggering, like staggering amounts of money. And the reason that, that is remarkable because Chelsea, I think there is in their defence, there has been a little bit of a misconception, probably in recent years, about how they are essentially this club who have just been bankrolled by a Russian billionaire and have just bought everyone they can possibly get their hands on. Um, and that's what all of their success is based on. Now, there is an element of truth to that, of course, particularly when, when Abramovich first took over and there was this kind of unregulated pre-financial fair play uh, marketplace, Wild West. I remember that first summer in particular when it felt like everyone who was anyone was just you know coming through the, the door. They brought uh, like Crespo and Veron, Adrian Mutu, Glenn Johnson. I think that might have been when they signed... Um, Joe Cole as well. They were just signing player after player after player. And it was unbelievable. And you just thought, like, how on earth can they... A, how on earth are the rest of the Premier League ever going to sort of catch up with this? Because at the time, they were really outliers in terms of that level of spending. It was only really um, uh, Manchester United who had ever sort of got close in terms of those big, big fees. Around that time, they spent big on... Uh, like Rio Ferdinand and and Veron himself and and Ruud van Nistelrooy, um, but anyway, after that, they continued. They were always spending big on players. You know, they they were always kind of breaking um, you know transfer records, British transfer records at least for players. You know, they spent big on Shevchenko. They spent big on um, Torres, etc. But it did kind of calm down. Um, quite a lot and there was a time when it looked like they were trying to sort of you know be relatively balanced and I suppose particularly when financial fair play uh, was brought in and financial fair play there there was a sort of you know a Premier League version of financial fair play and the UEFA version of financial fair play and they are they're essentially the same the, the the principle behind it and don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that financial fair play is something that has been brought in for kind of, you know, virtuous reasons to make, to create a, a fair and level playing field, because it's not. In fact, if anything, it's the opposite. Financial fair play is a protectionist policy to ensure that the elite remain the elite, because the likes, what, what it essentially does is says uh, your financial fair play is where you have to, re- you, your, your spending is dictated by your revenue, less your costs. So therefore, the clubs that make the most revenue can spend the most money. And what it does is it means that you can't come along 
just buy a club that has very little revenue and then just spend sort of, you know, a billion quid on, on, on players um, because there's nothing to kind of offset that against. So you'll be reined in by financial fair play regulations. That's why Newcastle, even though they've been taken over by the bottomless pit of Saudi Arabian money, haven't actually gone that insane even though it's now over a year since um, they've owned a club, they've, they've been spending on, in a relatively steady basis because what they'll be doing is sort of building up the, the business, improving the revenue streams, um, and then they'll be able to sort of, you know, um, sort of piece by piece increase their, their spend in a much more sort of proportional way. If they'd bought the club 10 years earlier than that, they'd have been able to go back to the, the old, sort of unregulated days of just spend, 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 spend. But Newcastle do at least have the advantage of having sort of, you know, a massive stadium. They are a really big club. They're very, very well supported. Not probably the international fan base that a lot of the big um, Premier League clubs have, but that to an extent will be because they've spent the last sort of 15 or 20 years treading water or even going backwards under under Mike Ashley. Um, but Chelsea... What's what's particularly interesting, bordering on dodgy, in terms of what they're doing and why they're able to get away from this, is it's this um, this concept which is called uh, I think it's called amortization or amortization. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> fucking pronounce it right. What it essentially is, is in a nutshell, is right. So Matt, I want to buy uh, your jumper. And I'm prepared to spend really big on your jumper. But uh, I haven't necessarily... My my sort of spending limitations mean that if I buy your jumper for huge amounts of money and put that on my sort of bottom line in my financial reporting, that could then either break a rule or limit it. So what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, that jumper, I'm going to give it a contract for 10 years. So... That means that rather than all of the money that I've spent on that jumper going boom onto my bottom line straight away, you can divvy up the the total value of that transfer fee and contract over the length of the contract, which means essentially it's almost like false accounting or false reporting. Now, it is within the rules, but it's dodgy. What helps them also is that at the same time, if you sell a player... So if I sell my trousers in order to buy your jumper, the money that I make through selling my trousers goes immediately in full on my bottom line, even if the person buying my trousers is paying for them over a 10-year period. It makes absolutely no difference. So essentially, Chelsea, there was talk the other day, right, that they were going to sell Conor Gallagher, the England international who was a youth product um, they didn't end up selling him in the end, but if they had it done, it would have probably got forty or fifty million pounds for him because you know he's a he's a good quality young player, had a brilliant season at Crystal Palace, and these days you, you don't have to do any more than that to be worth ludicrous amounts of money in in the Premier League because you know the riches are almost unimaginable. If they had succeeded in doing that, their their accounting, their you know the the way in which they'd be able to. Uh, report that for the next financial year would have had an immediate boost of 40 or 50 million pound on the bottom line but the 80 million pound they spent on Murderich and the uh, 100 million pound plus that they've spent on Fernandez and all of the other players that I've read out to you what they've done is they've given them 
disproportionately long contracts. This is the bit that is unprecedented and unheard of. Footballers, when they sign for clubs, generally will get, even if you spent like really big, the most you'd maybe get is a four or five year contract. So, um, I don't know, Liverpool signed Virgil van Dijk at the beginning of um, 2018, January transfer window 2018 for around 70 million quid. I think that initial contract was uh, three and a half years. So for the remainder of that season and then three more seasons. And obviously then, based on performance, it will then get renegotiated. If, you're, if you've got even better or become even more important, your wages will go up or you, you might be let go if you've had continuing injuries and, you, in, and uh, you've been out. But you can't... You're, that, that is essentially, from the club and the players' perspective, that's your first opportunity to take a pause, examine how things are going and then adapt your earnings accordingly, either positively for the player or positively for the for the club. But I suppose if you're playing the player more, that's because they have it's worked out, and you know you're therefore you know a lot more happy and able to increase the because if you if you've signed a player and they've increased in value even more than what you've paid for them, then that can be reflected in their wages and etc. Because better players you sign the more the higher you're going to finish in the league theoretically then the more likely you are to win trophies you get prize money extra tv revenue etc etc all goes on the bottom line allows you to spend more money some of which can go to the player as a a nice little reward the risk of what chelsea are doing and it and it's gonna it's gonna be genuinely fascinating to see how it goes is that no one for whatever reason has kind of done this before despite some of the um, hugely wealthy um, groups and individuals who have hold of Premier League clubs. No one has done this before. And I suppose the reason they haven't is because the risk of it is if you sign a player for 100 million quid and say you're then paying them, because this is the thing, because they're signing mostly young players, the wages aren't, at, they're not at that kind of 300 grand a week level yet so a lot of them my understanding is they're in around the between sort of 80 and 150 grand a week um on the whole these players despite the the transfer fee but that to to commit to paying when i think like if you if you look at the percentage of transfers big transfers that work out versus those that don't even at chelsea in in recent years they've had i mean they spent 80 or 90 million quid a couple of years ago on on um uh, Romelu Lukaku getting him back to the club and he's been an unmitigated failure he's, he's, he had one really unsuccessful season at Chelsea sort of plugging away getting nowhere injury back in the team you know not fitting in with what the manager how the manager wanted him to play you know and then maybe another injury and then gets loaned back to the club that they brought him for for 80 or 90 million quid only 12 months prior to that but, but he's still a club employee so I'm assuming that that money is still very much, you know, pulling down Chelsea's um, bottom line. So you, if you get a couple of them, then the, this business model completely, completely collapses because essentially it relies entirely on the players succeeding and transfers are, you know, no matter how well researched uh, they are and how well founded they are and how logical they look and how inspiring they look, they are risky. And I... You know, I suppose these things are subjective, but it would take a brave man to or woman to uh, suggest that the success rate for big transfers was any better overall than maybe, I don't know, 55, 60 percent. 
and at that rate then with this level of spending if you're spending 600 million quid if if around half of that doesn't work out and you have the players there who end up then just weighing down the wage bill because for it to work, Chelsea will need to be winning trophies. They'll need to be definitely qualified for the Champions League. And similarly to Liverpool, it looks like that's going to be very, very difficult this season based on league position and um, form. So then if you miss out on Champions League, you miss out on TV revenue, you miss out on prize money, participation money, etc. That all of that drags down your um, you know, sort of cost versus revenue um, ratio. I mean, Chelsea have spent alone. And this transfer window, just the January transfer window, more than the uh, French, German, Spanish and Italian leagues. Leagues, not, not, not individual clubs. They have spent more than the four next top European leagues in total. The total transfers put together. Put together. Oh I mean, that days. is unbelievable. I mean, another, I suppose for another podcast really is the conversation you could have about whether or not it's healthy that the Premier League now is just completely taken over from a financial perspective. You know, the, the, they, a couple of weeks ago, they produced the most recent um, list of the, you know, the, the top 20 um, uh, uh, clubs in terms of turnover in Europe. And you've got, um, all of a sudden now you've got like Leicester and Leeds in there. I mean, it's just... The, the average Premier League club now is able to... I mean, there's a reason that Kaylor Navas, a multi-Champions League winning goalkeeper, has just signed for Nottingham Forest. You know, he was sitting on the bench for Nottingham Forest in the, their second leg of their League Cup semi-final at Old Trafford the other night. You know, a couple of years ago, he was playing in the Champions League final against uh, uh, Liverpool, watching Gareth Bale score an overhead kick and watching his opposite number... Um, uh, in goal for Liverpool basically throw the trophy away and he's now you know Nottingham Forest who hadn't been admittedly a great historic club but hadn't been in the in the top flight for sort of 23 years and they've got a multiple Champions League and international quality goalkeeper directly from PSG Eindhoven flip that round can you imagine you know a, uh, even if it was a sort of backup goalkeeper or a you know a bit of a veteran left back leaving a uh, a top-level uh, Premier League club and going and playing for, I don't know, Spezia in um, in Italy. It's just, it's not going to happen, is it? Or Lons in France or something. You know, it's just, it's, it just doesn't happen because they would never be able to get anywhere close to matching that, those, that level of uh, wages. So, but for Chelsea, I mean, I... St- <laughs> As a as a sort of child of the nineties, who you know the formative years of loving football was all through the um, and sort of school years were through the nineties when Italian and Spanish football were still mostly dominant, certainly in terms of financial muscle, despite the growth of the Premier League, when all of the transfer records were consistently through those leagues, particularly um, you know Italy and Spain. The idea now that one Premier League club, not even currently even close to being the most successful uh, Premier League club, you know, a club that at the moment, you'd say probably in the worst position they've been in for a number of years, that they're able to spend more money on their own than the four next top leagues combined is insane. And it's probably wrong. I don't see how that's good for competition. I think think if, if we end up in a situation where Premier League clubs become so dominant financially that they then just completely take over the European competitions and no one else gets a look in. I don't see who that's good for. I don't see how in any way that's good for football. I know, admittedly, we're 
some way off that at the moment. Because as long as Real Madrid still exist and, you know, their insatiable appetite for winning Champions League after Champions League, then I don't see that happening anytime soon. But you can, to link it kind of all back to sort of a couple of years ago, you can now maybe understand a little bit more why what we were sort of dismissing as the greedy bastards running Juve and Real Madrid and the Milan clubs were so desperate for that Super League because they can't compete. They cannot compete with the Premier League and they are going, you know, in serious danger of losing their supremacy. So their only way of um, sort of, you know, in their, in their eyes anyway, of sort of handling that and mitigating that is to pull everyone together, have a closed entity of a league where nobody else can kind of join them and share the money. I mean, obviously, that, that I don't see how that could ever work now just because of the fan reaction. But don't be fooled into thinking that it's gone away because it hasn't. It hasn't gone away. You're still hearing journalists who work consistently with the big European clubs are still hearing, you know, talk of it kind of behind the scenes and how it, you know, could come back in a slightly reformed um, um, sort of package. So, yeah, watch this. But that's essentially where it comes from. So, yeah, Chelsea... It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see um, how it goes over the over the next few years. But um, I do, I must admit, and I, you know, I don't want to go too early on this. But I, looking at a lot of the players they've spent the money on, and thinking, are they even that much better than the players that they already had and the team that won the Champions League a couple of years ago when they beat Man City in the final? I'm not sure how many of these new signings would get in that team, but. You know, they know best, they're the money men. And as we certainly <laughs> learned over the last uh, few years in this country, you know, money men, they know what they're doing, don't they? And I don't want to be part of the um, anti-growth coalition that Liz Truss <laughs> and uh, Quasi Quarteng uh, warned me about. You know, they, you know, I certainly don't want to be part of that. <laughs> I'm all about growth. Yeah, me too. Yeah, good. <laughs> okay well on that right wing economic bombshell um that's it for this week um so look out for chelsea this weekend don't know who they're playing if i was more professional i'd have looked at this weekend's fixtures um i do know that tottenham are playing man city again for the second time in a few weeks and that antonio conte has had um, some relatively major surgery in the last 24 hours but the reports are that he's still going to just come straight off his hospital bed and onto the touchline so that sounds safe and like nothing could go wrong there doesn't it Matt <laughs> really I look I'm sure that'll that. be fine he's known yeah. he's known for his calm and restraint isn't he Conte so I'm sure he'll <laughs> he'll just sit there sit there calm and dispassionate as sort of you know when they can see the penalty or something but yeah <laughs> Chelsea are playing Fulham tomorrow H- who are Chelsea. Chelsea. Oh, yes, that's the Friday night game, yeah. Or, or tomorrow, or yesterday, as it will be by the time we release this. Because we are yeah. recording this so, from, yeah. on Thursday the <laughs> oh, yeah, 2nd. Yeah, and, that, and it's only yesterday, if you listen to it, straight away on the Saturday, as indeed you, you should do, yeah. I do think that um, Sean Dyche's first game as Everton manager is against um, Premier League High Flyers Arsenal. So that that's going to be a game well worth watching. Um but anyway, on that, on that, on that um, sort of damp squib of a bombshell, it's time to say thank you for listening for another week and goodbye from um, Matthew and goodbye from me. Bye.